Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everyone. We are in for another amazing treat tonight. I love it when this author comes on the program. Today, we're doing Indie Reads Aloud Radio with Mark Love. This is Mark's fourth visit to our program, and I'm so happy to have you back, Mark. You're so much fun. I am always delighted to join you, Diana. We have such a good time. I get some raised eyebrows sometimes. <laughs> laughter is heard in the other part of the house. And it's just me and Diana talking. <laughs> we have such a good time, and I'm so glad that you keep coming back and and um, and and writing more great novels for us to share. You're such a wonderful storyteller. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, for those of you who have not yet heard our podcasts with Mark Love. First of all, shame on you. Go back and listen to them. And secondly, let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Mark lived for many years in the metropolitan Detroit area where crime and corruption are always prevalent. As a former freelance reporter, Mark honed his writing skills covering features and hard news. He is the author of the Jamie Richmond romance mysteries, including Devious, Vanishing Act, Fleeing Beauty, and the novella Stealing Haven. The short story, Don't Mess with the Gods, which was written with Ali Nina Castle and was included in the Magic and Mischief Anthology. When we're off air, Mark, you need to give me a link to that so that I can put it in the show notes. Mark also wrote the Jefferson Chain Mystery Series, including Y319, and Your Turn to Die, and the latest Shane novel, The Wayward Path, has just recently been released. You can hear a little bit of that on another episode. Mark now resides in West Michigan, where he enjoys a wide variety of music, books, travel, cooking, and the great outdoors. He also warps young adult minds with his storytelling prowess. So if you are um, fortunate enough to have Mark in one of your college classes, um, needle him about that just because it's fun. Every chance I get, it's amazing how I can ease a story into the middle of the lesson plan, usually to some confusion with the student. They They enjoy it. That's what makes your teaching style so lovely, though. We have fun. Yeah. Tonight, Mark is going to read from his novel, Devious. Mark, you're going to read a couple of excerpt sections instead of from chapter one. So we want to make 
our um, listeners uh, aware of that. So if you could, rather than me reading the synopsis, when you start each excerpt, will you give us a little setup before you do the reading portion? Sure, I'd be happy. That would be awesome. So we'll talk a little bit about this afterward, but I would love to hear you read. You know how much I love your your storytelling. So when you're ready, please take the microphone and read aloud. All right, very good. Thank you, Diana. Tedious is the first book in the Jamie Richmond series. Jamie is a very distinctive character for me, uh, very independent, very loyal. And she was originally an investigative reporter for one of the local newspapers in Metro Detroit. And this book starts out when she's first making that transition from working as a full-time reporter into pursuing her dreams of writing mystery novels. The first scene that I have is where the story takes place in the Metro Detroit area and it's about middle of October. And Jamie is meeting with Captain Bert Nowalski with the Michigan State Police. Now, all these books are told from Jamie's point of view, from Jamie's So this is the first scene where she goes in to meet with Captain Nowalski. Sometimes it's hard for me to think of Bird as my father. Technically he was, or is, my stepfather, my mother's third husband. First, Peter Richmond was an artist. His sculptures still decorate several local galleries and museums. He had just been hitting his stride, having done a number of successful commercial projects, when a fall from scaffolding suddenly ended his career. That his life also ended then seemed secondary to my mother. I was seven at the time. Vera had progressed her way through a number of romances and marriages trying to find the right combination of husband slash lover. Bert married her when I was 13. She divorced him when I turned 20. She's currently on her seventh husband. I'd lost count of the boyfriends in between and during the other marriages. Why were you hanging out at that scene Friday night? I thought you'd given up the police beat for something more normal. Bert said as he settled into his chair behind his desk. I'd worked for several years at one of the local daily papers, started out in society and fashion, and gradually worked my way into where my real interests lie, crime. I covered everything from crime scenes to arraignments and trials. Along the way, I had a scare or two. This made me want to work on my own terms. Now, I write features that appeal to me, and I sell them to magazines all over the country. Sometimes I can put a new slant on the same article and sell it to a dozen different specialty magazines. This allows me time to set my own schedule and to work on what I really want to do. Right. It was just a force of habit. I was driving by and saw the lights. Guess I'm still a reporter at heart. If there was enough for a complete story, I 
could have covered it and sold the effort to my old editor. So why didn't you follow it up, Bert asked. By the time I asked a few questions, I realized two other stringers had beaten me to the punch. They must have heard the calls on the scanner. I gave mine up when I wanted to focus on features. But for you, I never liked the idea of you digging into the crime beat. You meet some very interesting people that way, and with a smile. Too bad some of those interesting people are lacking in table manners. So why are you here, Jamie? Level with me, Taffy asks. Why are you here? Taffy asks. I haven't heard that in years. I keep hoping you'd forget that. On your life. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Maybe to him, but to me, it was one of the most embarrassing moments ever. It happened when I was 16. There was a dance at school and I had gone with a group of kids. It wasn't an official date. But Nikki Valenti had been very attentive that night. He bought me a Coke and a slice of pizza. Paired a few slow dances. Nikki was a senior. All the girls thought he was charming with a sly smile and soulful brown eyes. He was a junior. He had borrowed the keys to a friend's car. On the way out to the parking lot to look at the stars, he bought me a few pieces of taffy. I was young, I was naive. Put them into the back pocket of my jeans. After an hour of passionate kissing in the back seat of the car, we returned to the dance. Taffy had melted through my pocket, painting my jeans my underwear, and my bottom. My face was as red as my hair when I tried to explain it away to Vera. Bert didn't believe a word of the story I came up with that night and had tagged me, Taffy. He only used it in private, and always with impeccable timing. Couldn't con him. He was far too sharp to accept anything but the truth. I'm working on a mystery. I sold a book. It'll be published in the spring. A wide smile split his face. That's great. I've told you a hundred times you've got. I said that back when you were working on the paper in high school. Bert has always encouraged me. To see some things never change. He offered me an advance on the second book. And I want one of my key characters to be a patrol officer. I'd like to ride a shift or two with a uniformed trooper. A police is not in the habit of allowing civilians to patrol with a trooper. Your presence could interfere with the performance of his duties. Bert was trying hard to keep the twinkle out of his eye. For a moment, he almost had me fooled. Surely there must be exceptions to every policy, Captain, even in police work. I tried to think of something to bargain with. He chuckled. Don't get formal on me, little girl. Remember, I'm the one who caught you climbing up the trellis after curfew when you first discovered me. Hey, I was 15, and that's ancient history, like a dozen years ago. 
The twinkle was definitely there. 16 years, but who's counting? Anyway, I didn't say we wouldn't allow it. What are you suggesting, Bert? Best time for you to witness would be a daylight watch. Things aren't nearly as hectic as when the sun goes down. I leaned forward, trying to read his expression. Nothing. Even as a kid, I could never gain any insight from his face. If it's all the same to you, I'd much rather take an evening change. Bert shook his head and closed his eyes. You're not going to make this easy for me. Come on, Bert, have a heart. I'm talking about one shift in the evening with a regular trooper. Eight hours and I'm out of your hair. And I'll never mention to Vera that I saw you or how good you look. It was a shot, but I knew deep down that he still cared about her. Such flattery. You're a piece of work. But I'd find it more amusing if you did mention it to your wife. Come on, Bert. Say yes and I'll be your valentine. The face-splitting smile returned. I remember the first time you pulled that one. I came around the desk and planted a kiss on his cheek. And who always sends you a card on Valentine's Day? You do. And Christmas, Father's Day, and birthday. You do. And who's your favorite stepdaughter? You're my only stepdaughter. Doesn't that make me your favorite? Yes, it does. So you'll set it up? Oh, all right, he said with just a hint of disgust. I'll see to it. But if anything goes sour during the night, I'm giving the trooper specific orders to dump your taffy ass in the poke. Understood? I stood erect and snapped off a salute. Understood. Bert rose to escort me out to the lobby. I pulled a tissue out of my purse and carefully wiped the lipstick off my cheek. Suddenly, I got the impression that I'd been snuckered. He stopped me just outside his office, gently squeezing my elbow. Why couldn't you do something safe, like teaching or modeling? I looked down at my chest. I couldn't make it as a model. I'm lacking a few of the essentials. Bull, legs like those could sell stockings. Hell, even I'd buy a pair. He gave me another brief hug and turned to go back to work. They call it hose now, Bert. Pantyhose. Hey, I'm an old-fashioned guy. Besides, stocking sounds a whole lot sexier than hose. Scene number two. Jamie has been given permission and is riding along with Trooper Smitty Kleinsmith gain background information for the character she wants in her next book. Now they've seen some action. They stopped, had a dinner break, and now, late in the shift, they're getting back on patrol. He was quiet. I was preoccupied, thinking about the events I'd witnessed so far. It was possible I had offended him somehow, maybe by not following his instructions about remaining in the car. I filled in my notes using the glare from the occasional passing headlight 
while the details were still fresh in my mind. It was a slow, silent ride into the darkness. Based on his mood, I expected the rest of the evening would be quiet. He patrolled some of the surface streets for a while, delaying our return to the interstate. Kleinschmidt seemed restless. Maybe dinner hadn't agreed with him. If I bolted my meals that fast, my stomach would certainly revolt. We turned towards the approach ramp for the freeway, and a pickup truck zoomed out of the dark, narrowly missing our front fender. What was that? Mitty snapped on the lights and the siren. The pickup was bathed in the red twirling light. The truck's color was a faded white, dotted along the fenders. Gradually, it veered across the bridge for the interstate and eased onto the soldier shoulder. Drunk driver, I asked. It could be. Wait here. He glanced at me as he started to get out of the car. And I mean it this time. Hey, okay. Smitty radioed in his location, climbed out of the patrol car. The spotlight mounted on his door was trained on the truck. Shadows filled the cab. Kleinschmidt headed straight for the truck as the driver's door swung open. There was no one else on the road, no traffic of any kind. This section of the city didn't even have streetlights burning. This wasn't a residential area. It was more commercial, a little factory, probably the type that support the automotive industry. Casually, I let my eyes drift over to the right where the outline of a warehouse could just be seen behind the cruiser spotlight. I was wondering if Smitty would give this person a warning or if his indigestion would result in a ticket. Suddenly, I saw a flash of light and heard a muffled bang. Smitty pitched onto his back, his right hand clawing feebly at the holster as a loud roar reached my ear. The door of the truck was still open, now an arm extended beyond the edge of the spotlight. A gun was clutched in the gloved hand. I watched in horror as the trigger was pulled back for another shot. Everything that happened next must have been instinct. Maybe it was merely a reaction or dumb luck or the force. Yeah, maybe it was the force. I don't think I'll ever know for sure. I reached across and pounded on the horn with one hand, flipping the button Smitty had used to activate the siren with the other. The sudden noise startled the driver. His arm jerked back into the cab. The door slammed. Spraying stones and dust behind, the truck lurched onto the road and raced away. Fumbling the microphone off the dash, I thumbed the button. Kleinschmidt has been shot. Send an ambulance. I dropped the microphone and managed to get my door open. Came around the window, clipped my forehead and knocked me back a step. I'd forgotten to turn off the siren and its wail was splitting my eardrums. I muttered. A calm. This was easier to say than it ever was to do. Reaching back inside, I switched the siren off, then rushed around the front of the car. Smitty was lying on his back on the edge of the road. Blood soaked the gravel beneath him. His eyes were closed, but I could see his chest moving. 
I dropped to my knees beside him. You're gonna be okay, Smitty. I called for help. Got by a dog, he whispered. Fine Schmidt opened his eyes weakly. First aid kit in the trunk. Stop the bleeding. His voice was fading so fast, I had to press my ear above his mouth. I got a whiff of grilled onion. The truck came back. What if they were waiting right now, just beyond the reach of the spot, waiting for me to get close so they could kill Smitty and kill the witness, too? I cringed. There wouldn't need to shoot us. Just drive right over us with that truck. My imagination was running away with possibilities. Shake of my head, I chased such thoughts away. I ran back to the car. I dropped the keys three times after getting them out of the ignition before finally jamming the right one into the trunk lock. There was a white metal box with a red cross on it. I lugged it back to Smitty and knelt beside him. Oh, was that ambulance? There were latex gloves inside the kit on top of all the equipment. I pulled them on and rummaged through the contents. I found some large sterile gauze pads and some medical tape. Somehow I managed to crudely tape the gauze to each side of his shoulder. The bullet had entered through a small hole just beneath the collarbone on his right side. The exit wound looked bigger than a golf ball. You're going to be all right, Smitty. I don't know if I said this for his benefit or mine. He groaned and closed his eyes again. I didn't know what else to do. I called for help. I'd patched him up. There was no way I could move him, but I didn't think I was supposed to anyway. Thought he was still breathing, but I wasn't sure. Closed eyes meant death. We're sure of that. I rocked forward and slapped his cheek hard. Don't you die on me, I screamed. Eyes fluttered open. My limited medical knowledge flashed through my mind. Coma, shock, heart attack, trauma, tonsillitis. I had no idea what else to do for him. Where were the professionals? They should have been here already. My eyes kept flicking from Smitty's face to his wound to the direction the truck had taken. Suddenly, I heard the sound of sirens. Then another joined in. I swiveled my head trying to find them. Another groan escaped Smitty's lips. My eyes searched his body for signs of life. I thought it was too late. The siren sounded close now. I glanced up as the ambulance and another patrol car arrived. What the hell took you guys so long? I shouted as they rushed to us. Paramedics rudely pushed me aside and bent over Smitty. I was about to kick one guy squarely in the ass when someone grabbed me from behind and lifted me off the ground. I carried back to Smitty's car, struggling all the way. Finally, they sat me down on the hood. My eyes focused and I recognized Sergeant Sloan. Relaxing. Let the paramedics do their job. I was exasperated. How could he be so calm when one of his own men lay there wounded? He could be dead by now, Malone. He's been lying there bleeding for over an hour. 
and been an owl. It's only been three minutes. Malone tried to smile, but it never reached his eyes. Three minutes? Three minutes. Your call came in two minutes after Smitty radioed in his position. The report was logged in at 1014. Your call was at 1016. It's now 1019. Three minutes, I repeated. That's all, Jamie. Malone pointed over my shoulder to the ambulance. They were already loading Smitty into the back of the wagon. One of the medics waved, flashing a thumbs up signal. He's okay. He's not gonna die. Klein Schmidt, stand lucky you were riding with him tonight. Help oh, might not have gotten here so quickly if it weren't for you. We watched the ambulance race away, sirens wailing. The hospital was two miles up the road. It all happened so fast. Scene three. It's been a while since the shooting. Jamie is determined to figure out who was behind the shooting. Meanwhile, he's been starting a romantic relationship with Sergeant Malone. Malone only uses his last name, which has piqued her curiosity. Jamie's been out of town for a few days. Thursday evening, I returned to an unexpected heat wave. My apartment was stuffy and quiet. I was reminded of a spinster aunt who spent her life cooped inside her little flat, afraid to venture out into the world. Threw open the windows and switched off the furnace. I'd taken nothing but business attire with me and was dying to get comfortable in a pair of jeans. I dumped the contents of my suitcase on the floor of the closet and was shucking my heavy wool outfit when the phone rang. Hey, Jamie, how was the trip? Malone's deep voice cooed in my ear. It was good, Norton. I had decided to give him a different name each day I saw or talked to him. Sooner or later, I'd hit the right. Wrong again. How about dinner? I thought you were working. I am. Cops have a right to eat too, you know. I was standing in front of the mirror wearing nothing but stockings and high heels. I wondered if Malone would like the outfit. Maybe I should ask. So do you want to meet me or not? Yes, Norton. Where? O'Leary's in 10 minutes. Naked. Give me 20. If I told him what I was really wearing, he might break out laughing or faint dead away. Get O'Leary's, I'll be right there, he teased. 20 minutes. I kicked off the heels and squirmed out of the stockings. Afted for a pair of very lacy panties with a matching black bra, and rummaged in the closet for a corduroy skirt and a cotton blouse. Call this my flirt skirt. It was knee length, but had functional snaps that ran down the front of it. Depending on how flirtatious I was feeling, Determined how many snaps were left undone. I grabbed my bag and hurried off to meet him. O'Leary's wasn't crowded when I arrived. Malone was in uniform, sitting at a booth near the back of the restaurant. He was talking with Sean O'Leary, the octogenarian owner. 
John gave my hand a gentle squeeze, then toddled off to schmooze with his other patrons. Malone greeted me with a tender hug and a chaste kiss on the lips, then pulled me in beside him on the bench. Saving it up for later. Thank God. How was the trip? Okay. Janet wants me to do some pages of rewrites for the book, and my publisher wants a synopsis for a series of mysteries we've been kicking around. If I can sell them on the series, I'll get a nice chance. We also talked about a promotional tour for next spring. Is that a big deal? Could be, depending on the reviews. There may be 20 cities in the Midwest with talk shows and autograph sessions. They're footing the bill that can help increase sales. I'll know more after the first of the year. Malone opened his menu and scanned the page quickly. The waitress approached, wearing a green leotard and skirt with a black apron. He glanced at me and raised his eyebrows. Want me to order for you? Sure, I'm starving. Malone turned to the girl. We'll have the roast lamb stew, tossed salad with raspberry vinaigrette and coffee. He looked at me and I nodded. You eat here often? I asked as she wiggled away. I suppose she put a little extra swing in her hips for Malone's benefit. I don't know whether to be angry or jealous. Idly, I undid a couple more snaps on the skirt, fell open to mid-thigh. A couple of times a week, John's a decent guy. Food's good and the prices are reasonable. A lot of the guys stop in. The service is pretty good too. He winked at me. It was obvious he'd noticed the extra wiggle. You're a good guy, Norton. Malone leaned over to kiss me. His left hand landed softly on my knee. I watched the expression hit his eyes as he realized this was the smooth, bare leg he was feeling. Malone gently slid his hand a little higher. A shiver of excitement ran through me. Several moments for me to withdraw from that kiss. Want to skip dinner? I was glad this part of the restaurant was dark since I was blushing beet red. I think we're going to need that nourishment for later. Malone reluctantly removed his hand from my leg. After dinner, he walked me out to the parking lot. Stopped beside my car and leaned against the door. Did I tell you how much I missed you, Norton? I put my arms around his neck. His hands went to my waist. Nope. Would it be improper for a girl to kiss a cop while he's on duty? Malone's eyes went to his left wrist. Two minutes before I checked in. He tipped his head down to meet my lips and kissed me warmly. Anyone was watching, I didn't see them. I didn't care. His left hand remained on my hip. The right had somehow drifted between my legs and undid two more snaps. The skirt was only fastened to the top of my hips now. A shudder ran through my whole body as his fingertips stroked the top of my leg. Come home, Jamie. Gently, he pulled away and straightened up. I'm glad to have you back. How glad are you, Norton? See you later, yes? Oh, yeah. It may take me a while to be able to drive. I seem to be having this problem with my door. 
He locked at night. I pushed his hands away and stepped back before I attacked him in the parking lot. I'll have to see what I can do to remedy that. Jamie, don't change your clothes. Thank you, Mark. I One of the things I love about your writing is that you create a real playfulness between your characters. I, I've read this in your other books. You have such fun with that. Oh, absolutely. Life is too short to not <laughs> include humor. You gotta have that little give and take, that little tease, a little fun and game going back and forth between them. And yeah, that that's a lot of it's one of the greatest things about this series is their playfulness together. It's just wonderful. And and the other thing I love is that um, I th these are part of a series, but I don't feel like they have to be read in order. Did oh, no. you write them with the intention of them being standalones? Uh, I did. And, and originally, I have to admit, I never planned on doing a series. <laughs> I thought Jamie would be a one and done and I would move on to something else. But she was such a wonderful character and Malone as well. That as soon as I got done with the first one and I started getting some feedback from some friends, they were like, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean with that? What are you going to do with her next? I'm like, I don't know. And it just it just has evolved. And it's such a wonderful pair of these two. And, and there's a circle of friends around them that gets drawn yeah. into many of their stories. And I and her mother and her stepfather. And oh. I mean, it's just such a great cast of characters. They are. They are. And Vera is just a delight. And she actually makes her first appearance in the third book of the series, um, which was Fleeing Beauty. Yes. And she's a wonderful she presence there. Very fun in that. <laughs> and, and then she appears again in the, in the fourth book, which is at the publishers now. Um, it's called Facing Favors. With any luck, that's going to come out in July. So we'll have to talk about that when we get closer. Absolutely. Yeah. When we get closer, we're going to have to do that one yes. as well. Um, last thing. The other day I was, I was writing a piece for my social media content. And it was, um, it was this talking about this idea of uh, authors are slightly schizophrenic because we have voices in our head all the time. <laughs> um, and and I, I've always, when somebody has referred to me as being slightly schizophrenic, I've always taken it as a compliment. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so how much of Devious is Jamie and Malone talking to you and how much of it is you interviewing them? I, I think the majority of it is them talking to me. Uh, there were some scenes there that I have no idea where they <laughs> came from. And uh, somebody told me, it's like, you start with the idea of what the story is gonna be about, or just the main idea, and one or two characters. And then all you do is run alongside and just take notes about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really accurate because I don't work with an outline. I work with just a, a kernel of an idea as to what kind of mischief can I get Jamie into this time? And, oh, you know, it just, just kind of happens flows from there. It just yeah. happens. And there was a I, social there was a social media meme that I saw that said uh, something to the effect of I, I don't tell my 
um, uh, my characters what to do, I simply write up the incident report. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> That's a good one. So the next book comes out in about four or five months. So we can look forward to that. Um, and, and in the mean, you haven't read everything for me yet. So will you come back and read from the others? I, I still have, I think, a couple that I haven't touched with you yet. Uh, the second book in this series is called Vanishing Act. Yeah, uh, you that, have not read that for me yet. That introduces Jamie's very best friend, Linda. Childhood friends, lifelong friends. They've been together since they were seven years old. And uh, that's a really great story. I, I had a lot of okay, fun. You have, to, you have to come back and read that for us. I got that. And then the second book in the Shane series is called Your Turn to Die. And the premise is that a fella gets this message on his cell phone. It says today as the subject line and the body of the messages. It's your turn to die. Unfortunately, his phone is in his car at the time that that message comes in. So he doesn't get the warning. But oops. Oops. Little chaos ensues. Yeah. You know? Mild and, chaos ensues. Yeah. And one of the things about Jamie is I said, she's such a wonderful character and I just mm. can't seem to ignore her. You know, she's this very determined, very stubborn little redhead that just like she sits right here. Yeah. And if I don't pay attention to her every once in a while, I get this little click in the ear thing. <laughs> so she's actually had little cameo appearances in two of the chain books. Um, oh, that's fun. Oh, yes. And, well, we will have to look for that. It just, it works out so well. And and Melissa, my dear publisher with the Jamie series with Inkspell, um, told me one time, she said, it's kind of like cross-pollination. Yeah. You mean cross promotion? Yep, same idea. You know, same idea. <laughs> you're shifting them between the two series, and it's a lot of fun to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, one last question before we close up today. Okay. Do you, so you've got two major series now. You have one short story that you co wrote with another author. Yes. Do you have any designs on writing something that's outside? of these two series is there something else brewing in the back of your imagination that we could look forward to yes i'm about seven thousand words into a different story it's going to be uh it's not part of the series it's going to be a standalone it's like a crime novel and Fun. i'm i've already interviewed a police officer and i've interviewed somebody that's going to give me some um insight into a specific character that i want to have and my goal, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off anytime soon, but I want to interview an FBI agent to get some oh, details. That would be fun. Oh, so, uh, I, I know it's fiction and people say you just make stuff up, but there's so much research that goes into yeah, writing yeah. a story, as you know. Yeah, well, yes, because fiction has to sound believable. Absolutely. And <laughs> so we, we've got to have it. Um, and, and I love doing the research because sometimes... Sure. The craziest questions will lead to what? Oh my gosh, I had no Yes, idea. yes. And then yeah. that little kernel builds into an entire scene that builds into an entire chapter. And before you exactly. know it, you, you've got book two in the series. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Oh, yes, I, I am working on that. And hopefully now that this semester is finished and, and I just have some papers to grade, I'll have a little bit of a break 
and I'll have an opportunity to get some serious writing done. Exciting. That's great. I would look forward to that as well. Thank you so much, Mark. I love it when you come on the program. We always have such a good time. We, we do indeed, Diana. It's just, it's just like getting together with a great friend and let's have a little chat. You know? It's so. super fun. And, and I love Zoom because now we get to do this even though we live on opposite sides of the state. Absolutely. Yeah, and I look forward to every adventure together here. Thank you so much. I look forward to you coming back. We're going to do this Pleasure. again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.